listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church Building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. A read from Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 to 26. Let's hear God's word. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. This is God's word. Well, here at Trinity, we are continuing our summer sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. This famous list of nine virtues which the Apostle Paul refers to in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. When a person becomes a Christian, the Bible teaches us that that person's life is completely changed by the Holy Spirit. And one of the effects of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, one way in which our lives change over time is... The Holy Spirit works in our lives, is that we begin to be characterised more and more by these things listed as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Today we're looking at the fifth virtue listed by the Apostle Paul. The fruit of the Spirit, he writes, is kindness. And I want us to focus on three things as we consider what Paul has in mind when he refers to kindness here. Let's look at what it is, where we find it, and how we show it. What it is, where we find it, how we show it. Firstly then, what it is, what does Paul mean exactly when he speaks of the Christian being someone who is characterised by kindness? Well, uh, part of the difficulty we have (coughs) when we reflect on the fruit of the Spirit is that we're familiar enough with each of these terms to, to think that we know what each one means. And so when it comes to kindness... Uh, We each have an idea, perhaps even a very good idea, of what kindness is, even if we might struggle to put together a concise definition of the term. 
Uh, We know a kind person when we see one. We know an act of kindness when we see it. Uh, But even so, what, what can we say when it comes to defining kindness, the sort of kindness that the Apostle Paul has in mind here? Uh, Well, kindness, as Paul uses the term, it has a certain motive and a certain manner. A certain motive and a certain manner. Uh, The motive of kindness is the desire for the happiness of another. What motivates kindness is the desire that another person might be happy. Or to say it another way, Uh, Kindness seeks to relieve a person of a particular misery or burden. Uh, We see this, don't we, even in uh, what we might refer to as small acts of kindness. Uh, When your friend is unwell, you might take something over to that particular friend's house with the aim of cheering them up. You hope to relieve in some small way their misery. Uh, That act of kindness is motivated by the desire that your friend might no longer be miserable but happy. The motive of kindness is the desire for the happiness of another. But kindness also has a manner to it. Kindness is motivated by the desire for another's happiness, and it actively seeks the person's happiness. But the way kindness goes about its work has a particular feel to it. There's a tenderness to kindness. There's a sweetness to it. So... When you're feeling unwell and experiencing a certain sense of misery, uh, if a friend calls around with something they baked for you or a box of your favourite chocolates or some flowers they know you love, you would say that was very kind of them. It was considerate of them. It was thoughtful. It was tender-hearted. It was sweet. But if you're feeling unwell, genuinely unwell, and a friend tries to cheer you up by barging into your house telling you sternly that you need to stop being so miserable, if your friend drags you out of bed and walks you to the bathroom and tells you they'll be back in an hour to make sure you're washed and happy, you might say that your friend is well-intentioned, their motive might genuinely be to see you happy, but you probably wouldn't call that kindness. Why not? Because the manner by which your friend goes about seeking your happiness is not the manner that belongs to kindness. It's not considerate, thoughtful, tender, somewhat inconsiderate, harsh. Kindness has a motive and a manner. It desires another happiness and it actively seeks it in a way that is mild and tender. And there's every reason to believe that this is what is in the Apostle Paul's mind when he lists kindness as a fruit of the Spirit. When Paul uses this same word in other letters he wrote. He almost always uses it alongside other words that emphasise the importance of our manner towards others. So when Paul wrote to Christians in Ephesus, in in Ephesians 4, verse 32, one of the texts that is printed on the reflection part of our order of worship, he wrote, Ephesians 4, 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Kindness and tender-heartedness appear hand-in-hand together in Paul's thinking there. To be kind is to be tender-hearted. One writer who comments on this verse writes that kindness is an expression of a tender, compassionate heart. It's motivated by compassion. 
we might say it's motivated by the genuine desire that the other person might be happy and not miserable. And it's also characterised by compassion too. There's a tenderness to its expression. <coughs> Excuse me. That's Ephesians 4. In Colossians 3, verse 12 as well, when Paul wrote to Christians in Colossae, uh, he instructed them like this. He said, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Um, do you see there in Colossians 3 the company that kindness keeps? Do you see the family that it belongs to? Um, it exists alongside compassion, humility, meekness, patience, kindness, seeks the happiness of another, and it does so in a compassionate, tender, and meek manner. Kindness is humble. It doesn't say, I know what's best for you, and here it is, do this, think like this. Kindness isn't impatient when it sees another person making decisions that are inevitably going to lead to misery. It doesn't say, would you just stop making bad decisions? But patiently and tenderly, kindness says, as it were, I truly do desire that you might not be miserable and I think I might be able to help in some way. Have you tried this? Have you thought about this? One Dutch theologian named Petrus van Maastricht, writing in the 1600s, he wrote that kindness is nothing other than mercy that does good to a sinner. And it operates in a humane, sweet and mild way with sinners. Uh, Kindness is motivated by the desire to do good to another, to contribute to another person's happiness and relieve their misery, and its manner is one that is tender and meek. That's what kindness is. But secondly, where do we find it? Where do we see this kindness on display? The question as to where this kindness can be found is a relevant one, because often it's not something that's easy to find, is it? Um, Often you'll see the slogan printed or posted somewhere, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Now, there are several things that we might want to unpack when it comes to thinking about that slogan. Uh, Is it really true that you can be anything, even in a culture that encourages a certain kind of diversity? But with all of that aside, surely one thing the slogan reveals is that people are very much familiar with unkindness. We've all had our fill, as it were, of unkindness. And that's true, isn't it? From the school playground to the workplace, even in the home and the family and among friends, kindness can be in short supply. We can feel far more familiar with the kind of characteristics that are the opposite to kindness. Those in positions of authority are often severe and harsh when it comes to exercising their authority. They're hard on those who are under their authority. We can be severe and harsh and hard on those around us in our marriages, our families, in our friendships, with our colleagues. We know what unkindness looks like. And for so much of the time, we even find ourselves more prone to unkindness than to kindness. 
And so the question is an important one. Where do we find this question, this kindness that Paul is speaking of? Well, Paul could speak of this sort of kindness because he had discovered this sort of kindness to be characteristic of God. That is to say, Paul found this kindness to be on display in God himself. God desires the happiness of his creatures. He desires our good. And he goes about relieving our misery tenderly with compassion. We see the kindness of God throughout the Bible. Last week when we were looking at the virtue of patience, Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit, we saw the significance of God's name as he revealed it to Moses in Exodus 34. (coughs) And we're told in, in Exodus 34 that God proclaimed his name to Moses and that in hearing God's name, Moses saw, as it were, God's goodness, the sum total of God's perfection. And one of the four words that God reveals as making up his name and being so central to who he is, is the word we sometimes translate as abounding in steadfast love. We heard it in our call to worship from Psalm 36. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. It's repeated throughout the Psalms. It's reflected on in several places throughout the Old Testament. God is abounding in steadfast love. But the word that we translate as abounding in steadfast love, it's so packed full of meaning that we struggle to capture the full significance of it in one phrase. Part of its meaning, in fact, it relates to the idea of kindness. In the old King James version of the English Bible, the same word is translated as God's loving kindness. Christians often sing of it in the old hymn, Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. The loving kindness of God. Kindness is an essential aspect of God's character, who he is. We might describe it as a a feature of his love or a feature of his goodness. God is love, God is good. And his love and his goodness is expressed in his kindness towards us. That's undoubtedly what is in Paul's mind when he penned those famous words in 1 Corinthians 13, when he said, love is patient and kind. He was reflecting on God's love. What does that mean? It means when it comes to thinking about who God is, we need to come to recognise that he is kind. That is to say, he desires that you and I, his creatures, might be happy in the truest sense of the term. He desires our happiness and he takes upon himself the responsibility of relieving our misery. And as he goes about his work of relieving our misery and restoring us to the happiness he designed us to know, he goes about that work with a certain tenderness, with compassion for us. And we see God's kindness at work in this sense in several ways. We see it even in the way that God blesses the lives of people who do not worship him and who will never worship him. Even in the lives of people who continually reject God, even their lives 
are marked by his kindness. In Luke's Gospel, in chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus pointed out to his followers that God, the Most High, as he refers to him there, is kind to the ungrateful and evil. That is to say that every good thing that is enjoyed in this life by every single human being is a result of God's kindness. Part of the reason why God blesses the lives of people who he knows will never worship him as he deserves is that it's, it's his very nature to be kind. He truly desires that his creatures might be happy and not miserable even in temporary ways that continue only in this life. God is kind. But of course we see God's kindness supremely and most clearly in the way he goes about restoring us to true and lasting happiness. In the way that he goes about redeeming us poor, miserable, sinful creatures through sending his son into the world. Titus 3, verse 4 and 5, we heard earlier in the service. Paul said, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Now, what Paul is saying there is that when the Son of God came into the world, kindness came into the world. When God appeared, when he became visible in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, kindness appeared. Kindness became visible. The supreme manifestation of the kindness of God is seen in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, all that he is, all that he does, is the expression of God's kindness. Through the Lord Jesus Christ... God goes about his work of relieving our misery and restoring our happiness, not only in a temporary sense, but in an eternal sense, so that when this life is over, all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will be perfectly relieved of their misery and will live in perfect happiness forever. God's Redeeming work is graciously motivated by the desire that we sinful, miserable creatures might be happy. God desires our happiness. He's kind. And the way in which God goes about redeeming us through his son is kind too. That is to say, God is not harsh with us. He's not severe. He doesn't bring us to the point of repenting of our sin and turning to Christ in faith by coercing us to do so. By beating us over the head, as it were, in order to force us to fall in line and submit. But there's a tenderness to the way in which he brings us to the point at which we see our sin and we see our need of a saviour to redeem us. You know, that same manner is true of the way God deals with us after he's brought us to that point for the first time. As Christians, as God's people... He's not severe and harsh with us. He's tender and compassionate and meek. Even as we feel as though our progress in the Christian life is slow and we realise that these virtues, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and so on, don't characterise our lives as they ought to, 
there is still a kindness to the way that God continues to deal with us. He tenderly leads us along a path of Christian growth through our lives. And all of that begs the question before we move on. Do you realise the kindness of God? Do you realise that the many ways in which you experience happiness in this life, the many different things you've been blessed with, do you realise that it is all the result of God's kindness, of his desire that you might be truly happy and not miserable? Do you realise that each of these acts of kindness on God's part, they ought to lead you to see the significance of the greatest of his acts of kindness, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the Lord Jesus Christ, he's offered to each one of us as the only way to eternal joy, the only way that our misery might be relieved forever. He, the Lord Jesus, is God's kindness supremely Is that how you view him? It is so vital that we recognise the the kindness of God when it comes to living rightly and honouring God in the way that we live our lives. Another theologian, a Christian minister from the 17th century named Wilhelmus Abrackel, he urged his congregation to properly take note of God's kindness. He wrote this, he said, Believers... How you do injustice towards the Lord when you view him as cruel, merciless, pitiless, and always angry, because he, is neither, because he neither immediately delivers you from your threatening and pressing circumstances, nor grants you your desires, nor answers your prayers. You dishonour God with such thoughts. You imagine things about God that are unbecoming of him. Humble yourself for entertaining such sinful and God-dishonouring conceptions. Refrain yourself and be fearful of such thoughts. How detrimental it is to you when you dwell upon such thoughts. It will prevent you from praying believingly. You will rob yourself of a quiet confidence in God. Frustrate the expression of your love towards God. And bring upon yourself darkness, restlessness, the hiding of God's countenance and a vulnerability towards sin. The brackle. Brothers and sisters, if those struggles are true of you today, if you lack confidence that God knows and allows only what is good for you, if your love for God feels cold, if you feel restless or far from God or vulnerable to, towards doing what you, you know you ought not to do, then it may just be that what you need more than anything else is a fresh appreciation of how kind God is. And how kind he is to you. All that he allows into your life, he allows because he is kind. And his kindness is not frustrated by a lack of knowledge, as our kindness is. We don't always know what is best for that person who we want so much to be happy. But God does always know what is best. If that's what kindness is, if that's where we find it, How do we go about showing it? How does this kindness become more and more characteristic of our lives? Well, if we were to ask that question of the Apostle Paul, I think he'd respond with two things. Repentance and reflection. There's a close relationship in the Bible between kindness 
and repentance. In Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul outlined that God's kindness, the kindness he shows to all people in this life, ought to lead us to repentance. He writes in Romans 2 verse 4, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Uh, Paul is making the case that we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that God's patience with us and his kindness to us in allowing us to enjoy so many things in this life, we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that that is evidence that God accepts us as we are and we therefore have no need to repent. The fact of the matter, the fact of the matter is, Paul, said, uh, Paul, Paul is pointing out, that God's bearing with us, his patience with us, his kindness to us, his refusal to deal with us as severely as we deserve as rebellious creatures, rather than that give us false assurance, it ought to bring us to the point of repentance. That repentance involves turning away from a sinful way of living, turning from sin and turning to God to live for him. Repentance involves a change of mind about what is right, a change of heart about what is desirable and a change of direction when it comes to life from here on in. And repentance, biblically speaking, it involves a confession of sin before God and it goes hand in hand with faith that he has provided a way for our sins to be forgiven. This is the effect God's kindness ought to have on us, Paul points out. Repentance. And this is the doorway to growing in showing kindness to others. Our quest to grow in kindness, to become increasingly kind people, it needs to begin with repentance. We grow in kindness... As we repent of our sin and turn back to the God who is in his very nature kind. And his character becomes our character as we repent and trust in him. And that's true in a broad sense as the Christian life begins with repentance and faith. As the Holy Spirit gives us new life. But it's true also in the sense that ongoing fruitfulness in the Christian life does not bypass repentance. You cannot just choose to be kind, as many slogans we see suggest. But kindness comes as you realise how kind God has been to you as a sinner and as you respond in repentance. And so it forces us to ask the question, is repentance part of the rhythm of our lives? Is it part of of the rhythm of our lives. It's part of the rhythm of our church services here as we confess our sins together. But is it? Is it the rhythm of our lives Monday to Saturday as well as we feel convicted about the lack of these virtues in our character? Is our response to confess our sin to God and repent? When we recognise how little we desire that others might be happy, how little we are concerned to relieve burdens that others feel, when we recognise how our manner in dealing with others is so far removed often from the tenderness and compassionate way in which God deals with us, is our response merely to feel bad about ourselves? Do we confess our sin to God 
in repentance. The way to grow in kindness begins with repentance. But I think Paul would answer our question in another way too. How does the sort of kindness we've been speaking of become more and more characteristic of us? Not only through repentance, but also through reflecting on the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. In one very real sense, this list of the fruit of the Spirit is a reflection on the character of God as we see it in the life of Christ. He embodies each of these virtues perfectly. He shows us what it is to be a truly kind human being. That means if we are going to grow in kindness, we need to reflect on who he is. He is kindness in human form. If you want to know what it is to show kindness, what it is to desire the happiness of those around you and seek to relieve their misery, then you need to consider how the Lord Jesus went about his life. Think about the people he had time for. Think about the people he spoke softly to. Think about the people he spoke directly to. Because sometimes kindness is firm. And if you want to know what it is to show kindness, then you need to reflect upon how he offered up his life as a sacrifice for our sin so that he might relieve us of our misery and restore us to true happiness in an ultimate sense. And as we reflect on who he is, as we rightly worship him, that is when we begin to show kindness to others. We're going to come before God in prayer now. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith and what it means to live as a Christian, please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the connect page on our website, trinitychester.church forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.